Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got a boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. Bonnie, we took a couple days off because we originally thought this week was going to be one that we were going to be filled with stories of epic tornadoes and big storms. And you guys were finally going to get in the action in Oklahoma. Well, unfortunately, that didn't happen. No, no. I mean, I know Texas has had a couple tornadoes this week. Um, that whole area, the like, panhandle northwest texas corner like lubbock and stuff they have just really they've been in the sweet spot this season and i just don't find that fair yeah i i get you uh we will talk to about the texas storms first because it like we said it was supposed to be the big the big player weather driven uh, if you've seen photos and videos out of texas and north texas northwest texas uh, it is gorgeous stuff. Mm-hmm. The backlit supercell, which everybody has shared across multiple platforms. You can't go on any social media if you follow anything weather without seeing this beautiful mesocyclone. And everything looks perfect. It's taken. I want to say the shot was taken from the west looking to the east as the storm was rotating up. And then obviously hits the top of the atmosphere and is moving off to the east. But this thing was gorgeous. And I know that there's probably some, you know, color saturation tips and, you know, they might have added a little bit more color for detail, but this thing was still gorgeous. Well, and I love, you know, some people posted videos of it and they would speed it up so you could see the motion of the storm and see it turning and so amazing, so amazing. And that is so helpful to see the storm actually turning in real life, because, you know, you read about it in textbooks, you understand what it is, updraft, mesocyclone, blah, blah, blah. But when you get to see it, it helps connect all the dots. You know what I mean? And when you speak, you really see the intense motion of a storm that you can't always or you don't exactly get how fast it's turning. Just normal. Do you right. know what I mean? In relation to, so. you know, in relation to a lot of photos that we see about tornadoes and supercells you know again we talk a lot on the show about technology video's been around for a while but with the advent of the smartphone and everybody having a high quality camera in their pocket mm-hmm. you know we're taking this to the next level every textbook that you and i have ever read with weather there's no video right it's a textbook you got pictures right. and we got and cool not good pictures no they're not they're <laughs> choppy and grainy and they're kind of ugly and then you get to the science diagram and it looks like some kid with colored pencils was die you know drawing a diagram looking down from the top of the atmosphere toward the earth and you know you have reds that rotate one way and greens that rotate another and you're going to get the mesocyclone travel direction and everything that we've seen in textbooks is great but to actually see this stuff happen in real time this is why again I'm so over the moon with what is happening with our latest, you know, ghost satellites, the fact that we get one minute refresh rates and we can see storms bubble in real time and we can track growth of thunderstorms over several minutes is impressive because there's nothing like watching a area of thunderstorms go from basically nothing to full on severe in a matter of less than 15 minutes. I completely agree. And those diagrams and stuff in textbooks are meant to be in quote 3D, but right. if you can't visualize it, then it's, they're kind of hard to understand. And so being able to see it in real life and then go back to your textbook, you can go, oh, I see what this is and how it's placed in the atmosphere. But just, you know, a baby meteorology student who's not really seen much, which let's be real. <laughs> That's not how any of us are. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're all storm chasing as soon as we can drive, basically. But still, like having the real life visual it helps the textbook information click. Right. Driving to work yesterday, um, you know, and I, I do feel bad that you have been 
in your thunderstorm risk categories, but haven't seen much. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, and we will get into this in a minute, uh, we've just had generic thunderstorms, right? Just, you know, garden variety. Uh, I think maybe yesterday there were four or five lightning strikes in the Pacific Northwest, um, at least in Northwest Oregon. But driving to work yesterday, really heavy shower off to my northeast. And I could tell that based on radar and just based on my visual observations that there was going to be a line of storms that were going to form to the south and southwest of this main cluster. And you could see the clouds bubble and you could see, you know, the eventual lowering. And then all of a sudden, here comes the rain. Here comes the hail. We had some grapple, uh, really cold air aloft which for this time of year is not necessarily uncommon in the Northwest, obviously not uncommon in the Plains because you guys need that, you know, temperature difference to help kick off storms. But it was very fascinating to watch this line of showers form. And again, it's meteorology in action, right? It's real time. It's being able to see this happen and not have to look at it in a textbook on a 2D, you know, drawing that should be 3D, but it's not. So, Meteorology in action to me, and I know it's the same for you, is just fascinating. And to watch these things play out over real time is amazing. So good. It's so good. And, you know, seeing it in real life, and we talk about it all the time. Sometimes you can see in the sky where the cold front is because you can see the edge of clouds or you can see the gust front coming before it even gets to you, not on radar, but in real life. And we, you know, we talk about it all the time and it's just so amazing because it's like, it's like, this is really happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not just a picture. It's not just colors on a radar map. So it's just awesome. All right. And I will say this, and this is kind of off topic, but it's hilarious. I've had multiple dreams where I see the radar scan coming from the radar. <laughs> so if you watch any type of TV coverage, a lot of the TV stations, you'll see the sweeping bar that goes in a circle, right? To indicate the radar scan. I've yeah. had multiple dreams where I've seen that in real life. Like you've looked up in the sky and seen oh, yeah. it come over you. And it's it's green. Mm-hmm. It's like nuclear <laughs> it waste boop? green. Nope, it doesn't make a sound, but it looks like it's nuclear waste green. <laughs> That's awesome. That's how you know you're weather obsessed. Right? I love that. It I is hope fantastic. I have a dream like that. I want to see it. <laughs> it's quite hilarious. And that reminds me, I do need to go uh, take a little road trip and uh, drive out to the local Doppler radar here because I want to take a couple, a couple pictures with it. Um, that said, <laughs> the storms in Texas this week were fantastic. Bonnie, but I think the most shared video and most shared picture that we saw was of the softball size hailstone that looked like it was going to kill you. Because if I it hit you, it probably did. I think softball's did. right. I think it was more like a cantaloupe. Okay, it very well could be. It was large, and it's not... You know, we see like little tiny hailstones and even up to golf ball and baseball size hailstones, right? Most of them are relatively circular in size and relatively smooth, right? This thing looked like uh, it was coming to do damage and then some. It looked like, you know, when you're playing Mario Kart and someone shoots off one of those spiky shells? Yes. That's what it looked like. 100%. If you have not seen this yet, it's on our Twitter page, at Weather Podcast on Twitter. Go check it out. It is impressive, to say the least. Uh, Like I said, this thing, if it hit you, would have probably killed you if you didn't have any. It definitely would. Yeah, no helmet on, no, you know, protection. It would have hit in the head. It would have been game over. Uh, I wonder how much it weighed. I would have weighed mine if I would have gotten a hit like that. Right. I'm sure it was probably several pounds. Because I want to just picture how strong the updraft has to be to keep lifting that up and up and up into the atmosphere to get that size. Right. The Weather Channel did a great um, demonstration of this where they've been using their, you know, super cool studio portal where they do the animation, they kind of walk into it. Mm-hmm. You see it a lot with hurricanes and explaining the depth of possible storm surge. But they did the math to relate to these things, and it's like over 100 miles an hour updraft speed to keep things this heavy suspended in the atmosphere. Wow. Which also tells me that this storm was on the ground or above the ground for all storms above the ground, Bobby. But, you know, this storm (laughs) was moving, you know, relatively quickly. But the updraft, can you imagine the inflow on that thing? If you're getting wind speeds of 100 miles an hour inside the core, what updraft speeds would have been? Would have been insane. Like, because just imagine updraft as being you taking in a big breath. And imagine taking in a breath 
at 100 plus miles an hour. Yeah. To sustain a hailstone that big. Now, again, I know that there is some debate in the weather community of whether hail actually moves up or down within a thunderstorm or if it's all just suspended in theory in place traveling with the storm. But man, regardless, okay, you got this size hailstones bouncing around the inside of a thunderstorm. Yeah, just uh, stay out of its way. Yeah, because I mean, whether it's suspended or it's coming down and going back up and coming down and going back up, it still takes strong wind to do yeah. one of those things. Right. And again, so, I, you know, maybe the theory of a hailstone of being that big changing in place or being suspended in place would make more sense because if you lose any type of wind speed velocity to keep that thing up, the thing's going to come down, right? Exactly. Or can, so honestly, if it is constantly suspended and not dropping and going back up, that to me would indicate that the storm is even stronger to have constant right. wind strong enough that's not changing at all to keep that hailstone up at the top to get that big. So. Right. And conversely, if the wind speed drops down a little bit, you have to have it that much stronger to get back into the updraft. True, true. Like it's got to be like like a stronger gust than right. just 100 miles per hour. Yeah, that's very true. So We're uh, so smart. <laughs> <laughs> we really are. Asterisk, <laughs> maybe. Um, kind of, sometimes. Yeah, kind of, sort of, maybe. But I, I just, I think about this and again, Going through and seeing a little bit of hail yesterday, nothing more than, you know, less than pea size. Okay, there you go. You get the ice formulation. You get, you know, grapple. And if you're not sure what grapple is, it's basically super cooled water droplets that form. And it kind of acts like hail, but also acts like snow. Yeah, So if you can you, get it in the winter, too. You can get it in the winter, too. It's <clears throat> usually more common in fall and spring just because you're mixing the warm and cold. And winter is usually more of the snow, sleet, freezing rains type stuff. But you do get it in winter occasionally. If you if you know what Dippin' Dots are, yeah. which are the nitrogen-cooled ice cream pellets, that's what grapple looks like. And when you take a bite of Dippin' Dots and you get like six or seven of the little like ice cream balls that form together, that's what grapple looks like, you know, if it's up close. But these things explode on contact. So driving to work yesterday, really heavy shower, driving under the one I was talking about a minute ago. It started to look like it was snowing. And people were like, well, what do you mean? It's, you know, 60 degrees outside. It's not snowing. Well, it's grapple. It's these super cooled water droplets. They form and they clump together. And then, again, you get a really heavy downdraft. And it's pushing all this cold air and all this precip out of the cloud. And you get hail. And you get grapple. And so it's, you know, I, I jokingly refer to it as windshield analysis during the winter where you go out and you're trying to see if it's a rain-snow mix because you're not really sure. You know it's raining, but you know you're just on the precipice of it being cold enough to support snow. And so it's in that weird uh, area where it could be rain or snow. And so you go out and you look at your windshield because all of a sudden you can see what a snowflake looks like when it splats on your windshield. Hence the term windshield analysis. It's the same look for grapple in the spring. I know it's not snow, but I also know it's not hail because it's not making the typical hail sound. So it was pretty cool to see. Mine, the way I know that stuff is is grapple is like on the side, on your window, on your like driver window on the outside, down where like the window meets the door. Yes. A lot. It'll kind of get clumped up right there a yes. little bit. And then you can see it really well because it's right next to you. And then it just, you know, it's not snow, it's not hail, it's not rain. And it's just, that's my, always my indication right. that that's what that is. We get a lot of it that will come down like in a, you know, I, I don't want to say that we get low precipitation thunderstorms here in the Northwest because we do. And they're not supercells. You see it a lot. Uh, we use the term dry thunderstorm, which I want to say it's, How oxy annoying is that? It, it, it's oxymoronic, <laughs> but it's also very true. So you can see the radar signature. You can tell that there is a storm bubbling. But because the atmosphere is so dry underneath that anything falls, you know, it evaporates and becomes virga before it hits the ground. And so it's a term of a dry thunderstorm. So you get lightning strikes that will come out of these thunderstorms that will spark fires. And you're like, well, you know. It was a thunderstorm. Didn't it rain a lot? Well, no, it all evaporated before it hit the ground. So we get a lot of that, like, 
above the Cascades and then eastern Oregon. But with occasionally on the west side, you'll get a grapple shower, and that will be the only form of precip that falls, which again tells me it's pretty dry beneath, and the rain evaporates before it hits the ground, but these things survive, and they come down and they hit like your windshield or your hood of your car, and they explode on contact. And it's the funniest thing to see. Well, and it's because they're coming down so fast because a downdraft, you know, we said the updraft was like inhaling. So imagine when you do a really strong exhale, that's what the storm is doing. So it's just like it's just shoving all that air down really fast. So then, yeah, it'll just like explode yep. as soon as it hits anything. Sure. And again, these things are not like, you know, bind together by super glue. They're just air, little very teeny areas of ice that is combined it's basically rime ice if you're not sure what rime ice is do a google search you'll see it and how the individual components stick to each other just very small surface areas of ice that hold these things together so you know go think about back to science class in uh junior high and high school where you had the ball and stick models of molecules Mm -hmm. that's what grapple looks like on a much expanded like zoomed in view well, we've all gotten like ice out of our fridge yes. and and it's all just kind of stuck together for some reason. And it's it's kind of like that. And that's what it looks like, at least. It's a little bit of different dynamics going on, but it's just it, on a large scale. It's like ice cubes that get stuck together, but they're just itty bitty ice balls. Right. Speaking of ice cubes that stick together, fun little experiments. Try this next time that if you have an in-home ice maker in a tray that you can remove, because they say to refresh your ice every like 10 days or whatever. Take the ice maker out, take the thing out, put it in your sink, and run just a splash of cold water over it, and you will watch everything instantly bind together into one giant chunk of ice. (laughs) That's awesome. It is one of my favorite things to do, and then I sit there and I crank the water over to hot, and I see how long it takes to melt it. Well, my ice maker, we're a little off on a tangent, but my ice maker is being weird because, you know, it's it's not the trays it's the one inside the fridge that it comes with you know and it'll however it works how it fills up the little trays and then once it freezes it flips them out well half of them are coming out like hollow weird yeah it's like a whole cube but the middle is hollow and i'm like how is that even happening but it's fun to eat them that is insane (laughs) because you know it's the ice cubes that come out that look like um a little like wedge of an orange or something, you know, like yes. flat and then the rounded top. And so it'll be just the shell of that. And then the inside is hollow. And I'm like, how, but then the other half of the tray is solid. So I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> that is fantastic. There's gotta be like an, an air bubble or something in there. Yeah. Like, and it, well, it's been doing that pretty much since the huge winter storm in February, because that was the only line in my house that froze was the water line to the fridge. And so it took like a week for me to start getting water out of the fridge and then a few more days for it to start making ice again. So I don't really know what happened. And so ever since then, half of them have been coming out hollow. Weird. Maybe you might want to, and again, being a homeowner is a different ballgame, but you might want to have either the line replaced or just don't, uh, have a fridge inspection because if it did freeze, you could be looking at damage inside the connection point. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Shouldn't have brought it up because now you've scared me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> just just thinking out loud because you don't if things freeze like that. But hey, happy subject. Plumbing stuff really wigs me out at home because I just always worry that like it's going to ruin my floor, or my walls, or you know what I'm saying. Like I just right. I'm a spaz though. That's my middle name is spaz. Oh whatever. All right. Happier <laughs> notes. Happier notes. Bonnie, we are now 11 days from hurricane season. Woo. Now again, depending on. When you believe tropical season starts in the Atlantic, technically it's June 1st. There is a movement, as we've talked about on the show, to get that up to May 15th, which could possibly correspond with what we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. But today, our friends from NOAA and the Climate Prediction Center, the CPC, not to be mixed with the CDC, and we'll get into some COVID talk in a minute. Good Lord. (laughs) I don't know what the hell's going on with that anymore. Anyways, the CPC and NOAA, And the National Hurricane Center today released the 2021 Atlantic Hurricane Season Outlook. Expecting 13 to 20 name storms. Of those 13 to 20, 6 to 10 will become hurricanes. Of the 6 to 10 hurricanes, we could see 3 to 5 major hurricanes. 
So wow, there's just our like basis. Last year, basically, literally just like last year. Now, there's a sixty percent chance it's going to be above normal. There is a ten percent chance it's going to be below normal. And if you know percentages add up to 100%, that remains a 30% chance of near normal hurricane season. So they are heavily weighing on it to be above average. Wow. Well, I hope that they're all getting their sleep now because they didn't get to sleep at all. They didn't. Last year. Neither did we. And it was great. No. We were all over it. And I mean... I don't know. It felt like we were going through like six or seven letters of the alphabet every week. You know what I mean? There were weeks (laughs) where we did. Which is amazing. Right. Wow, I am pumped. And so, there's already one happening, isn't there? But it's not named yet, I don't think. It is not named yet, and we will get to that in just one second. But, again, we've talked about on the show the last couple of weeks how NOAA has released and the National Hurricane Center has released new statistics to be considered average, right? So, right. based on the update, an average hurricane season now produces 14 named storms, seven of which will become hurricanes, three major hurricanes. So... Based on what we were told this morning and based on the new data, which to be considered normal, we're looking at above average. So, and which here, like three major hurricanes seems really like a lot, but I mean, I get why it's the average now because that's how it's been for years. So, right. that's what makes it the normal, but it just still seems like because when I think obviously of major hurricanes, I think of Harvey's, Katrina's, Dorian's. And so, I'm just like, could you imagine every year? Three of those at least hitting the U.S. or bon- somewhere near. Yeah, exactly. Bonnie, it's almost like you knew exactly what I was going to say next. Well, we're very in sync. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. So a quote from Ben Friedman. He's the acting NOAA administrator. Although NOAA scientists don't expect the season to be as busy as last year, it only takes one storm to devastate a community, to mm-hmm. your point that you just made. The forecasters at the National Hurricane Center are well prepared with significant upgrades to computer models, emerging observation techniques, and the expertise to deliver life-saving forecasts that we all depend on this year and every hurricane season. So again, Ben Friedman, the acting NOAA administrator. So as you said, all it takes is one storm, and Louisiana took the brunt of most of the big storms last year. And again, anything that's considered a major hurricane is a Cat 3 and above. Mm-hmm. So at that point, that becomes a major hurricane. And again, we had several major hurricanes that never made landfall last year, which was great. However, we had several that did. Right. And it just, can you just imagine, because, I mean, that whole coast, the whole Gulf Coast, you know, a good portion of the East Coast have all been devastated multiple times by huge hurricanes. And this is the same stuff people just say to me about living in more, but it's like, could you imagine living in an area knowing every year you could get hit by on average one, two or three major hurricanes in addition to other right. smaller ones that just produce maybe excessive wind or a little excessive rainfall. But it's just still like, it's just, like I said, it's like what everybody says to me, why are you living in more? Why but not? It's, just, it's crazy. Yeah. Right. Why not? People got to live somewhere, but it's just, right. it's crazy to just think about that, that for six months out of the year, you're having to worry about a potential cat three, four or five hurricane. Like, whew. Right. It's, it is insane. It is intense. We talked about the technological um, upgrades and some of these are the high points that Noah shared with us on the news release this morning. Obviously we talked about back in March, the GFS underwent a major upgrade. So that's huge. In addition to the upgrade of the GFS, they have a wave extended ocean wave forecast from 10 to 16 days. So we're looking at now additional storm surge techniques and technology to look at waves two weeks out, which is pretty fascinating. Forecasters at NHC are now using an upgraded probabilistic system storm surge model known as P-Surge. It includes improved tropical cyclone wind structure and storm size information that offers a better predictability and accuracy in regards to storm surge. This upgrade extends the lead time of P-Surge forecast guidance from 48 to 60 hours in situations where there is high confidence. So again, you're giving people an additional 12 hours on top of the two days they have based on the model guidance to get things prepared or to leave. That's huge. When, when it comes to hurricane preparedness, you need all the lead time you can possibly get. I mean, tornadoes too, but I mean, hurricanes is even more. They cover much more area, much more devastating. 
So just any, any more additional time to get out or, you know, like you said, prepare in other ways is, is huge, huge. So hopefully we see that make an impact this season and, and I'm going sure, forward. I'm sure it will. In addition to the Hurricane Hunters, NOAA's Atlantic Oceano- uh, Oceanographic and Meteorological Laboratory will deploy its largest array of air and water uncrewed systems to gather data designed to help improve intensity forecasts and forecast modeling. New drones will be launched from the Hurricane Hunters, so that's pretty awesome. They'll fly into the lower structures of the hurricane and in the ocean. Sail drones, hurricane gliders, global drifters, and air-deployable technologies, all called Alamo floats, will track various parts of the life cycle of tropical systems. So, we're increasing the amount of actual observation inside storms. For me, the sail drones are the coolest things that I have seen in a long time. Uh, There's a handful of them deployed in the Pacific Ocean that are controlled by GPS and somebody sitting in a lab somewhere with a joystick. And So that's like the buoys, but you can move them around. Exactly. They're like the size of a giant surfboard. And they have, you know, instruments, packs on them, and you can move them into storms and out of storms. So uh, that's pretty fantastic. So, again, I applaud NOAA and the National Hurricane Center for using great new technology. Um, launching drones from hurricane hunters just sound awesome. You know, think of every top gun movie firing missiles. That's something, but yet they're trying to blow up hurricanes. So that's pretty cool. So we will see what happens. They need someone to help control the surfboard sailboat things. Possibly. Yes. I have played video games my whole life and I've played battleship so I can strategically place things. Perfect. I am going to sign up. You should call the National Hurricane Center and be like, listen, here are my credentials. I want a, I want a joystick. I want to yeah. pilot a sail drone. Totally a work-from-home situation, too. Absolutely. You know I mean? like, Absolutely. They just need to send me the thing, and then, bam, I can just do it and like hook it up to my giant TV. Could you imagine? And just be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we're simplifying this a lot, but hey, still. You know what? Listen, if we can do a podcast from 1,200 miles away, and sound like we're next to each other, we can make this happen. Truth. So, now this is my favorite part of the hurricane season. You and I love this every year. This is time to play our favorite game of, let's find out which hurricane is basic and not. (laughs) So, we will go over the names for all the storms, and we will tell you our favorites and which ones are like your basic white girls. (laughs) Yes, we can say that because we're both white, I guess. Anyways. Here we go. Here we go. Let's kick it off with Anna. Beautiful name. All right. Then we're going to go with Bill, Claudette. Oh, Bill. Yeah. Claudette, we have Danny. We have Elsa. Plenty of jokes to go along with this about let it go. And And there's Anna and Elsa. Yes, there is. Just saying. So we're going to be able to repeat all of our jokes at least twice. So then why didn't they put, like, Kristoff in there and... Well, we'll get to Um, that. We'll get to that. (laughs) Kristoff <laughs> is not a name of a storm yet but we'll get to it uh we have fred basic as they get we have grace another another solid name henry with an i oh please right there's that's basic we have ida hmm. yeah, okay we have julian thinking of cut fries yeah we, we have kate another basic name we have larry another very basic name <laughs> Bill, Henry, Larry, like we're really nailing it. Oh, yeah. We have Mindy with a Y. Okay. Okay, With a Y is better. Yeah. I definitely becomes basic. We have Nicholas. Okay. Strong. With an H or a K? H. Good. Yes. We have Odette. Okay. We have Peter. Did you ever see the Swan Princess? I did not. Okay. It's really good. The princess's name in that is Odette. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Uh, we have Peter. We have Rose. They really went big with this one. We have Sam. Ooh, man, Sam, Peter, Bill, Henry, Larry. Like, those are some basic boy names. <laughs> they are. We have Teresa. Oh, with an H or no? No H. Good. We have Victor. And then we have Wanda. If we make it to Wanda, there'll be plenty of jokes made about WandaVision and every other thing related to the superhero franchise that is Wanda. So, And also Fairly Odd Parents because yes. 
that was her name too, was Wanda. Wasn't it? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So there oh, we go. Fairly Odd Parents was so good. <laughs> so, <laughs> some very interesting names as we uh, go into hurricane season on the Atlantic side. We will get to the Pacific ones once we actually get into. We're already into the Pacific hurricane season. They started five days ago. But we'll get into that full name list once we get to June 1st and we talk about these names again because I just love doing that. Well, and we pay more attention to Atlantic than yes. Pacific because nothing – the Pacific stuff doesn't get hit really. Hawaii does every once in a while, but for the most part – Yep, it's Mexico. Really yeah, happens. it's Mexico and shipping lanes. Yeah. And obviously you have a lot more people that are based on the Gulf Coast and then up yeah. the Atlantic Coast, which – is why it's important. Now, yeah. speaking of, you said we possibly had something. Yes, we do. We have a disturbance, 80% of chance of a cyclone formation in 48 hours, a non-tropical low, that's important right now, non-tropical low pressure system located about 650 miles east-northeast of Bermuda is now moving northward, and a recent satellite data uh, indicates that the storm has gale-force winds. The low is expected to turn westward and west-southwestward, so do a loop and do a U-shape. Um, and it will likely become a subtropical cyclone near the time it gets to the northeast of Bermuda on Friday. After that time, the system is expected to move toward the north and northeast in a more hostile environment by late Sunday into Monday. More information on this developing low-pressure area. Please see the high seas forecast issued by NOAA's OP, uh, Ocean Prediction Center, the OPC, and forecast products including Tropical Storm Watch issued by the Bermuda Weather Service. So, again, formation through 48 hours, high 80%. Formation through five days, high 90%. So we could be looking at Anna. We will see if the National Hurricane Center pulls the trigger and names it. But as of right now, it is a non-tropical low pressure that might become extra tropical. Do you think they're going to be, they're going to hold off on naming storms this season? Because wasn't that a little bit of the backlash last season? Yeah. Just that they like jumped they, the gun on naming some storms. Yeah, they were a little quick to name a couple. Um and again, rightfully so, we debated this on, on a podcast, you know, a previous episode here on B-Squared, where I understand that we want to name storms because they have relevance. Mm -hmm. But if a storm is out over the ocean like this one, if this one were to affect a Bermuda, absolutely name it. But if the storm is just going to be out there and it just becomes extra tropical and maybe not necessarily, you know, an actual tropical storm, I guess extra tropical, subtropical, yeah, it's, it's somewhat tropical in nature, but I don't know. I mean, this one is so far north. It's right about 35 degrees north latitude. Eh, eh, we'll see. And I mean, I get like when it comes to that kind of thing, that always requires a judgment call, like how far out in the ocean is too far to not name it. So I think they just try to be like, if it meets the wind criteria, then we're just going to name it just to stay, you know, even keel across the board, but like your point is also valid. Like if it's not going to impact anything, it's just going to cause some waves out in the middle of the ocean. Right. What is the point? So there's really good arguments on both sides. And didn't one of the storms from last season get upgraded? Yes, I believe it did. I would have to go back and look at the individual ones, but yes, I believe it did. I think it went up to a three, which means that the um, major hurricane number went up a little. Right. So it would have increased by one. Again, if yeah. you missed the previous part of the show, um, a major hurricane is category three, four, or five. Which, that's the same with tornadoes. They're significant yep. after EF3 and then four and then five. Yep. So and even at the, least there's that standard. <laughs> exactly. And again, you know, you and I need to debate the merit of the even more extended enhanced Vegeta scale. Yeah. Because that does exist. They just don't use it because there's... Honestly, I don't think we've ever had a storm that strong, but that does exist. Based on the mathematical, you know, calculations of the EF scale, there is an EF6 and an EF7, I believe. Well, and I mean, we've always talked about how the structural damage goes into it, and so huge tornadoes sometimes don't get the rating right. that some people think it deserves because it didn't hit anything, and so that's flawed and not flawed at the same time. Because it's like what we just talked about. If it doesn't impact anything, does it matter? You know what I mean? So it's like, it's really crazy. Like tornadoes and hurricanes have a lot of similarities. It is true. It is very, very true. So it's just, you know. 
but I wouldn't know anything about tornadoes because I haven't seen one in, oh, I don't know, decades. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And people keep <laughs> people keep posting different memes about May 20th, 2019. Remember that day? Oh, that yeah. was supposed to be huge and, like, nothing happened. Yep. And it was, one, like, all of Oklahoma City was shutting down at, like, 11 o'clock in the morning. <sighs> yeah. It's a little painful. Like somebody, somebody like crocheted or did like a, what are those things called? Like a sampler where, you know, you yes. sew, like you embroider or whatever of the her printout from that day. <laughs> it's, it's so messed up. And it, and like everybody always comments on those with like a meme that says triggered. Cause it's kind of true. Like it's like, it right. makes all of us cringe a little bit. <laughs> no, it is true. It was a rough day. It is true. <laughs> Oh, so happy May 20th. Plus, it is the eighth anniversary of May 20th, 2013. Yes, so. it is. And I want to talk about that because, again, you lived through it. Uh, you were there eight years ago. What do you remember from that day? You know, so that was... Um, what happened that day? Because I had a doctor's appointment downtown for something. Oh, okay. So I had broke my ankle back in November before that. So 2012 and it was still bothering me and I still had follow-up appointments, you know, several months after. So I was downtown on like the fifth or sixth floor of the doctor's office waiting. And the way that the little like bed in the room was set up, it was in the corner against the wall by a window. So I was just sitting with my legs out across the bed and I could look out the window and I was facing west. And it was bright, sunny. I'm checking radar because I know it's going to be a big day. And I see a storm to the southwest on radar near Bridge Creek where they always like to pop up. And I texted my friend Ann, who lived on the south side of Oklahoma City. And I said, look, the storm has popped up southwest of you. It's kind of far away, but you need to watch it. And then it put down an EF5 a few hours later. Right. But I was downtown watching it get darker and darker and darker and lightning strike. And I didn't even have my doctor's appointment. They kicked me out. <laughs> they were like, go home. It's about to be bad weather. And so I went west because that's where I lived at the time was Yukon. And it was bright sunshine there. And so I just watched it all happen on TV. It was nuts. That is insane. It was ridiculous. And the fact that, and I'm pulling up the stuff right now here, uh, May 20th here. So, you know, everything that came together for this storm was, you know, it was predicted a few days in advance, which again, eight years ago was pretty impressive. I mean, listen, we talk about on, on this show a lot that, you know, we're really impressed when SPC gives the four to eight day guidance and they have areas of moderate and enhanced already. Yeah. Which, you know, just says that, you know, conditions look extremely favorable. So May 20th, same thing, right? We knew that this was going to happen. So um, this was part of an overall bigger tornado outbreak that extended from May 18th to the 21st. And we had tornadoes from the plains up into the Great Lakes, points east. Um, you know, the most devastating, obviously, event occurred with the EFI that hit more damaging and destroying more than 13,000 homes killing 24 people, seven children died while taking shelter inside the Plaza Towers Elementary School, which was flattened mm -hmm. by the tornado, which, again, eight years ago was a big deal, and it still is, but it has absolutely changed things for the better, where now schools are required to have better storm shelters, better construction, and there are now among the safest places you can be. Well, now there are required to let parents check out their kids yes. or not have them come into school that day. And it was because of that, that May 20th, 2019 is, is why everything was shutting down because it was, they were talking like they did in 2013. So I don't know what happened in 2019, but. Well, funny you should ask. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Do they even know? Yeah. So. Again, 2019, two years ago, we talked about, uh, yeah, we had uh, we had not just started the, we were in the discussions of starting the podcast that day, but we were still talking back and forth. So the morning of May 20th, SPC issued a high risk for severe weather across western central Oklahoma, northwest, northwest Texas. 
characterized by extreme instability, low-level shear, along with a wind profile supporting development of numerous wide, widely spaced discrete supercell thunderstorms. Conditions in place across the region were remarkably favorable for a large outbreak of violent lawn track tornadoes. As a precaution, many public school districts, private schools, and colleges, including U, uh, OU, throughout Oklahoma announced during the afternoon and evening of May 19th that they would cancel all classes and extracurricular activities the following day. If not, classes during the morning, if not, they'd hold classes during the morning only. Ironically, in response to the deaths of seven students from the EF5 tornado in Moore in 2013, several of the public uh, primary uh, secondary schools that canceled classes had since installed underground storm shelters for students and faculty to use in the event a tornado approach during school hours. The El Reno, Oklahoma School District, which has storm shelters at seven of its schools, six of them underground and one above, was one of the few in this section of central and western Oklahoma under the highest threat of significant severe weather decided to hold regular classes that day. El Reno Superintendent Craig McVeigh defended the decision on safety grounds, acknowledging that between 75% and 90% of the students in the district do not have shelters at their home. That number to me still is extremely high. Like yeah. we talk oh, about being prepared, how people in Oklahoma don't have storm shelters or access to one in their homes is beyond me. And I mean, I still don't know why it's not part of the home builds. Right. The only time it is, is if the person building, you know, the home buyer who's building the new home was like, hey, install a shelter. But it's not like standard, like walls and a sink and stuff are standard. So it's it's crazy to me. And that's why that's the first thing I did when I moved in my house and more was put in a safe room. Right. And it's I again, I still think it's the most valuable thing that you have in your house besides yourself. And Clyde. And Clyde. Well, Clyde, Clyde's a given. Well, yeah. Often talked about, very rarely heard from. Third member of B Squared. Yeah. He's amazing. He's outside. <laughs> he so to continue with this with this article via Wikipedia, it said businesses, churches, and other venues also decided to cancel events and activities while some city government offices, including OKC and Tinker Air Force Base, instituted liberal leave policies to allow employees to arrive home prior to the onset of severe thunderstorm activity. By midday, the SBC increased the risk of significant tornadoes in northern portions of the, of the panhandle of Texas, southwestern central Oklahoma, including the OKC metro area, from 30 to 45%. Now let's get into the actual what happened, because I think this is important. Uh, it's equally important that I believe because of the precedence of things that happened eight years ago, and then forward six years to the day of, okay, is this going to happen again? And you and I have talked you know, personally and then on this show a lot about how History does have a tendency to repeat itself. And when you have big outbreaks like we had in 2013 and 2019, people are going to pay attention. So now that we've established that this could happen, let's talk about what actually did. SPC issued a PDS tornado watch. Okay, The 197th severe weather watch issued in 2019 at 135 Central for portions of the eastern Texas Panhandle and the Texas High Plains. A second PDS tornado watch, number 199, was issued an hour later for much of Oklahoma and western portions of North Texas, including the 95% or greater than 95% probabilities for all severe hazards, including probabilities of at least two tornadoes and one or more strong tornadoes rated EF2 or higher. Ten or more cases of straight-line wind thunderstorms of at least 58 miles an hour and at least one case of winds of at least 75 miles an hour, and 10 or more cases of hail at at least one inch in diameter, and at least one case of hail larger than two inches. This was the second PDS watch with such high probabilities of significant severe weather to be issued by SBC, one at, or after one issued for much of Alabama and portions of southeast Mississippi, southern middle Tennessee, and northwest Georgia during the super outbreak of 2011. So... This was the all eyes on the sky, all hands on deck. Shit's about to get real. Yeah, it was it was a legit day. Like, I mean, I left work early that day. I went and got a friend from her job and took her home because I was like, you need to be home during all of this. So it was I hate that day because it just felt like it gave all the trolls online an excuse to be like, look, it gets hyped up for no reason. Blah, blah, right. blah. Like, it was just, like I said, we, we all still cringe. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, it was one of those days that was just, 
Ugh. I didn't. And li- I, I, I don't know what happened. Honestly, I don't know why nothing happened. Okay. Well, so let's get to that. So here's. So we've given the st- the setup, right? We've talked about why people were nervous. We talked about what SBC did in the in the precursor, and let's talk about what actually happened meteorologically. I will say this: I got chills just reading that. I'm not in yeah. Oklahoma. I'm in Oregon. I'm 1,200 miles away. I got chills reading that. So here's what happened. Despite the extremely volatile and dangerous setup, which it was, right? Mm-hmm. Conditions top to bottom were in the 95 percentile for everything to happen. The large outbreak of violent tornadoes that was expected did not occur to the effect of more capping than expected. So the atmosphere didn't release the potential energy. Smoke from wildfires in Mexico and the skies were overcast. However, several strong tornadoes did touch down in Oklahoma and Texas during the afternoon and early evening. A large EF2 damaged homes, destroyed outbuildings, and destroyed the roof of an apartment building in Mangum. In Texas, another EF2 destroyed mobile homes and RV campers near Midland. An EF3 touched down outside of the city of Odessa, destroying oil pump jacks and leaving behind a swath of ground scouring as it moved through open oil fields. A large EF2 wedge tornado also struck the town of Pegs, Oklahoma, significantly damaging homes and businesses, injuring one person. A total of 39 tornadoes were confirmed. So while it might not seem that OKC got hit by a major tornado, you still had several strong ones, and you had almost 40 tornadoes confirmed that day. Yeah, so it was still technically an outbreak. It just wasn't to the scale that was anticipated, which is a good thing. I want everyone to to realize, (laughs) you know, but yeah, it was just, and we've all seen the classic, you know, her run that circulates on Twitter and with all those discrete supercells that everyone was, it's just, you know, I don't know. All I can say is it was just, every time I think about it, I just, it just makes me cringe. And I was even nervous going into work the next day because I just did not want to hear people talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> sure. And, and again, talk about how it didn't happen and blah, blah, blah. Like I just couldn't. This was a multi-day outbreak. And obviously the focal point of this was what was going to happen on the 20th of May. Right. I mean, right. you get into the S you can listen. Anytime you get a PDS tornado watch, like we said, shit's about to get real. Yeah. So I expl- like you, your antenna perks up. Yes. You know, you had dozens of tornadoes on the 21st that, ex- that you know, impacted portions of eastern Oklahoma and into Missouri and Arkansas and Illinois. Even parts of Kansas got into it. On the 22nd, you had more tornadoes in eastern Oklahoma. You had another PDS watch come out. You had an EF3 hit Carl Junction, Missouri. You had um, an EF3 hit near Golden City, Missouri. You had the Jefferson City, Missouri tornado. Um, you had... Uh, extreme uh, damage to the town of Jay, Oklahoma. And then even going through the 23rd, the Texas Panhandle, parts of Oklahoma, um, you had stuff that happened. And so, again, this was a multi-day event. And, again, the main focus, obviously, was what happened on the 20th. But, Bonnie, this thing lasted for almost literally 13 days, okay? May 2019 had a 13-day run where you were looking at a total of 392 tornadoes. Wow. You had 54 of them, which were unrated on the EF scale, EFU. So, un, you know, eh, there was a tornado damage, but we can't assign a, a wind speed to it. You had 161 EF zeros, 126 EF ones, 31 EF twos, 18 EF threes, two EF fours, and no EF fives. Wow. That's, that's pretty legit. Yep. And I mean, a 13 day overall one storm system, you know, causing all of that. And, you know, however many PDS watches came out of that as yep. well. Like, so, I mean, that is still significant, even if an EF5 didn't go through a major city anywhere. So 100%. Now, again, we talk about this May 25th, 2019, 1028. A small quasi-linear convective system tornado touchdown just south of Interstate 40 on the south side of El Reno. Yeah. Tornado inflicted EF zero damage to a gas facility along South Choctaw Avenue before crossing Interstate 40. Reaching high-end EF1 intensity, the tornado struck the Diffie Ford Lincoln car dealership as it continued to the northeast. Multiple cars were flipped and moved at this location. 
large metal auto servicing building was badly damaged. The tornado then strengthened further, widening and intensifying to a high-end EF2 as it tore through the Skyview Mobile Home Park. Multiple tied-down mobile homes were thrown and completely destroyed at this location, with large amounts of debris strewn throughout the area. Reaching the peak intensity, the tornado struck the nearby Budget Value Inn Motel at an EF3 strength. The second floor of the motel was almost completely destroyed. Numerous walls collapsed. Cars in the parking lot were pushed into a pile and damaged. Tornado weakened back to EF2 intensity as it crossed U.S. Route 81, inflicting major structural damage to another car dealership and damaging numerous cars in the sales lot. Power poles were snapped and several metal light poles were bent to the ground as well. Weakening to an EF1, tornado narrowed and moved across a more easterly path, damaging trees and tearing up parts of the roof from a home along southwest or southeast 27th Street. Tree limbs were snapped and EF0 intensity at the South Alphadale Road before the tornado lifted and dissipated. Two deaths confirmed with the result of this tornado, 29 injuries, rated as high as an EF3, peak width of 75 yards, and a path length of 2.2 miles. So if people want to give you crap about living in Norman, tell them, why don't you go see El Reno? It's true, or anywhere. You know, and we talk about this right. all the time. If you put a dot everywhere in Oklahoma that there's been a tornado, the whole state would be covered. So it's really, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, it's, I, I remember that day a lot. I think that was the same day that there was, um, a tornado warning issue for my area, mm-hmm. but nothing really touched down. Right. And um, I, I'm looking at the map, actually, of the sequence between May 30th and the 29th um, from the National Weather Service. And you can see the lone tornado warning to the south of Oklahoma City that would cover. So uh, it's just interesting. But again, states from Wyoming to Colorado to New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Washington, D.C. This thing, it was not a, you know, something to shake a stick at. And so I know trolls want to troll and that's their thing. And it drives me nuts because, you know, these people think that they're proving a point or adding to society. No, they're just being idiots. So with that said, I'd rather be in a PDS watch and nothing happen and be completely bummed the next day that nothing happened versus not being properly warned and have something happen. Right. And be doing your thing and being at work or being at school or being on the road and, you know, something happens. So, yeah, and that's always the thing. When something doesn't happen, people always have something to say. And it's like, wouldn't you rather know ahead of time and nothing happened than just never know? Yep. You can't tell people anything. <laughs> you really can't. You really can't. So, oh, man. That's what we but got. We're going on year two with no, you know, multi-day severe weather outbreak. And I'm I'm about over it. I've had it. I'm impatient. I know you have been. And, again, your chase season is still intact for another, what, 30 days or so? Maybe. I don't know. June, I always kind of like, meh. I mean, it could happen, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. You and June have a love-hate relationship. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and then and then after June, it's just... Right. It can always happen. It's Oklahoma. But after June, I'm just like, okay, nothing until October. <laughs> Fair enough. So day one today, again, I'm in a general risk, which I think is pretty awesome. So sorry. Don't hate. I think I am too, though. You are. You are. Yeah. By the way, again, I need to reach out to our friend Evan Benley at SPC. And I know that we talked about the arrows on, you know, the the convective outlooks. I yeah. really need to know, though, if that's really the direction of things that are traveling. I don't think it is. I don't think it is either, but I want to know why they, and then they have arrows. Why don't you just, just draw it? Or maybe it's just lines. I don't know. Anyways. So, day one. Uh, most of the planes, with the exception of a giant uh, swath of Texas, are in at least a general thunderstorm if not a marginal and a slight. The slight currently mm-hmm. exists for portions of southeast Montana, uh, a very, very small portion of, uh, <laughs> feel bad for these guys, southwest North Dakota, most of the western border of South Dakota, down into the Nebraska panhandle, parts of northern Colorado, and then back through Wyoming. Uh, 
uh, and then general thunderstorm risk everywhere else within that region. Just picture that slight risk like a really long baguette. Yes, exactly. That's just placed on the map. It's a very skinny, like hot dog. Speaking shaped. of speaking of hot dog shaped and baguettes. <laughs> you need to go follow the account Weather Peens, W-E-A-T-H-E-R-P-E-E-N-S. Oh my god, it's so good. It is. If you deep down have the sense of humor of a twelve year old boy, this is the account for you because because it is so good. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So day two, convective outlook. Uh Bonnie, you guys are in the clear. But there is a portion of most of the United States that is covered in at least a marginal risk, uh, extending from, again, South Dakota all the way down into Texas. Day three, Bonnie, you're back into the general thunderstorm outlook with an area of marginal off to your west. Days four through eight, predictability too low. So we will see. We will see. Hopefully you get something, but we will see. Well, no promise because I'm... I'm over here. I'm kind of pouting. <laughs> well, as I told you before the show started, today we are in a, you know, general thunderstorm, you know, pattern. One of the more social media savvy forecasters from our local National Weather Service office said, it would not surprise me today to see two funnel clouds and at least one report of a tornado within our county warning area. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but that really piques my interest. Well, okay. I think you're rubbing it in, and that's rude. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> no, but I do hope you get something because you do deserve something. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Now, I will say this. So, I'm going to read for you the updated uh, AFD that came out about 90 minutes ago. So, about an hour before we start taping this, about a half hour before we start taping this. Mm-hmm. Here's just the update, and I'm just going to read this because the you know that the weather guys at the uh, and the weather guys and the weather gals at the National Weather Service Portland office are geeking out when they put out stuff like this. A minor adjustment has been made for the forecast today to expand the chance of thunderstorms westward to include most of the coast range. The main reasoning behind this adjustment is tied to what forecast national or the NAM, the HER, and the RAP sounding show over various points across the coast range this afternoon, which show SB Cape values ranging from 150 to 500 joules per kilogram, which ain't nothing, okay? No. Anything above 1,000, I'm like, okay, 150 to 500, eh, we're talking about a lifted index maybe of what? Minus one, maybe zero if we're lucky. Yeah. If we're lucky. Need some heating. Let's get to that. <laughs> so it's in this range by mid-afternoon with equilibrium levels in the twenty to 25,000 foot range. Surface to three kilometer shear values are also decent in the 20 to 25 kilonaut range. These conditions are enough to warrant at least a slight risk of thunderstorms over most of the coast range, which is now reflected in the updated forecast. The main limiting factor for convection later this afternoon appears to be the potential for excess cloud cover this morning into the early afternoon hours. As of 10 a.m. Pacific, most of the northwest Oregon and southwest Washington were still socked in with clouds aside from parts of the central and southern Willamette Valley. The high RIF, or the HREF, suggests cloud cover will decrease significantly during the mid to late afternoon hours, which should be just in time for destabilization to occur. If that is not rooting for something to happen, I do not know what is. <laughs> right? It's like really, it's like reaching a little bit. It's like, come on, storms, you can do it. Like, that's kind of how I'm reading that. <laughs> right. So the short term, today through Saturday, previous discussions from 300, from 319, 319, 319 a.m. Radar satellite service observations are so similar to 24 hours ago as expected. The main change in the last 12 to 24 degrees minus 30 degrees celsius so again we talked about the cold air right with the grapple minus 30 yeah. degrees celsius is somewhat chilly bring a jacket there will be a few few more sun breaks today as sli- slightly drier northerly flow develops aloft but these would only serve to help drive convection this afternoon so expect scattered showers developing by midday becoming most numerous near the cascades as with the case Wednesday, a few stray thunderstorms are possible this afternoon with the best chance today being in the Lane, the Lane County foothills down on the Cascades due to the proximity of the coolest air aloft. Model sounding suggests that tops with our strongest cells may exceed twenty to 25,000 feet. Plenty 
enough to establish charge separation for lightning. Perfect. Well, I hope it happens. Right. Now, here's the fun part. This is the fun part. Another slight difference, because, you know, we got to build up the anticipation, right? Mm -hmm. Another slight difference in the model soundings this afternoon versus Wednesday afternoon is that there is a bit more cloud layer shear forecast for this afternoon when compared to 24 hours earlier. This is mainly due to the upper level low center shifting south of the forecast area and increasing north-northeast winds, turning with height, okay? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, surface winds look to be guided by terrain into much of a south-southwesterly direction as a weak southerly component to the uh, main surface low-pressure gradient persists in the Willamette Valley. The result may that any cells that reach about 10,000 feet may be able to sustain themselves longer than cells we saw Wednesday afternoon, and they may be stronger if the shear is enough to separate updrafts, updrafts and downdrafts. This kind of shear, along with strong low-level lapse rates in any sunbreaks, has been responsible for many funnel clouds and even a couple of wheat tornadoes in our CWA. This is not to say we are expecting tornadoes or even a funnel cloud in our forecast area today, but will certainly be a day to keep a close eye on the sky and radar for any rotating updrafts in stronger slash persistent cells. The shear may also allow for slightly larger hail than Wednesday afternoon, but we are expecting any hail or gusty winds to remain below severe thresholds. <laughs> wow, that's very, very complicated discussion for it to basically say something's going to happen, but it's probably going to be nothing. Right. We really, again, this is we really, really want something to happen. We want to pop a warning in our CWA, but we might not be able to. That's exactly what I read from this. <laughs> well, I hope you get something. <laughs> I'm really tempted to copy and paste this and post this on Facebook, but I don't want to scare people. And I know my little sister who is very pregnant and very close to giving birth to my fifth, uh, fifth, uh, I become an uncle for the fifth time is what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't want to scare her. So I won't. Yeah. We'll just talk about okay. it here. But hopefully by this time, either on Sunday or next week, I will be an uncle for the fifth time and I will be welcoming Miss Oakley Harbor to the world. Oh, you have been an uncle a lot of times. Uh, five times. Yes. Man. To Gabe, Annie, Will and Taryn. And what about Kingston? And Kingston. Yes, my buddy. I can't forget about Kingston. He's my buddy. Right. Nailed it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for remembering my, my you know, my peoples. And I didn't. So thank you. <laughs> well. So yeah, I'll be yeah. an uncle for the sixth time. Gosh. Man. I'm terrible Kill at that. Kill on the uncle game. And Kill I need, yeah, game. yeah. And yet I'm still single. I'm the single cool uncle. Hi. Which is the best? It That's is what you want. You I get want to, to be I get the to get uncle a, that can give them back. Exactly, one hundred percent. I'll sugar them up and then hand them back. Enjoy. <laughs> you don't have to do any of the disciplining. Exactly. Well, I mean, I guess every once in a while you might have to, but like, it's just nice. <laughs> you don't really have to do much. It is true. It is true. All right, real quick, what do you guys have coming up forecast wise? Oh, you know, off and on rain and storm chances, maybe a little severe. Blah, blah, blah. Look, I would be happy for just some rumbles of thunder. Right. As uh, as my girlfriend, Garth Brooks, says, the thunder rolls. Yeah. Well, it's not rolling here, so. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I'll try to not pout about it, but there's no promises. Right. Well, just you got to, you know, you got to you gotta have hope. Got to have faith. Well, and I do really need to mow the lawn, so it might be nice that it's not raining as much because the lawn's already out of control, and you know how it is after it rains. It grows like 10 feet for some reason. Right. It's all the, it's like your hair. You get, you know, you get your hair cut, and then you eat some more protein, and then your hair grows back. Well, I wish that my hair would grow as quickly and as tall as the grass does when it rains, but it doesn't. Well, maybe get your hair out in the rain. Okay, I'm going to try that. Or maybe go, like, I don't know, grab a bunch of dirt from Oklahoma and smother it around your scalp. I I will try it. I'll do both. Let me know how that goes. Take video. <laughs> okay. Before and afters and video of the actual smearing. Got it. Right. Can do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm writing down show notes. So when we post the show in a few minutes, I know what we talked about over the last hour. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Talked about rubbing clay in hair and rinsing it with <laughs> rainwater. <laughs> 
Uh, Storms in Texas, and then Garoppolo. And so, what do you have coming up besides your really exciting weather potential? Uh, we will have a exciting day today, and then it's going to get boring. And when I say boring, temperatures are going to go into the seventies and lower eighties uh, under sunny skies for the weekend, which is great. And then come crashing down on Monday, which everybody seems to be happy about this time around because normally the pattern is sunny like Monday through Friday and then really rainy and cold Saturday, Sunday, but it's the exact opposite. So going forward, uh, it looks good today. Uh, once we get out of this thunderstorm chance, which I think is hilarious. Um, so then we're going to go forward. It looks like we start to warm up a little bit. We'll hit 70 on Saturday, slight chance of showers Sunday and Monday, but even then temperatures are still at 70 and our chance of precip is less than 30%. So, you know, we're into that, again, cool period where we have kind of showers aloft. Um, generally, June is one of our wetter months in terms of, like, heavier downpours, and we seem to get a lot of rain that way. But uh, we're getting ever so close to that magical start of summer, which is the 4th of, or the 5th of July. So we'll see. Well, fingers crossed that you get something. Fingers crossed that I get something. Yes. And um, we'll just cross all the fingers. Right. I will say this. The extended 14-day GFS did have a run yesterday that put temperatures up into the lower 90s, possibly pushing triple digits next week. For who? For me. Whoa. Yeah. Now, again, it was one run. It could be an outlier, but we'll see. Well, we know how the GFS is. So. Yeah, but it's upgraded. Well. <laughs> you know, you can still put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. I'm going to say define upgraded because it still looks like it's putting out some silly stuff. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not the Euro. So. <laughs> right. But Hey, it's all good. All right. Another fantastic edition of B squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. And we will talk to you guys in a few days. Bye.